And the church said, amen, amen. I'm so grateful for our uh, students and kids this morning and uh, what a, a blessing it, it was just to, to hear them proclaim the words through song of the coming of our Savior. Uh, this morning I, I found these two little hands in my office. Uh, these were the hands of my little girl that she traced when she was in day school. In a few months, she'll be a teenager. It goes quick, doesn't it? It's a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. Um, but I want to start off with a question for you, and that is, what is the oddest group of people you've ever hung out with? Uh, for some, it's your family. I mean, let's be honest. They are just well-rounded, odd people. And uh, you secretly think to yourself every time that you're with them, how am I really a part of this family? Uh, for some of you, it may be your coworkers. Uh, the stories you could tell about the odd people that you work with is limitless. Uh, for some of you, it may be the other students that you go to school with. Maybe they represent oddness. For some, it's the church. Some of the oddest people you know are sitting right next to you. And if you don't know any odd people in the church, it's you. <laughs> I've been doing some uh, daddy carpool lately, and uh, I had four teenage girls in my car. And I realized I am the oddest dude in that car. I mean, I love them, but I don't even feel like I'm the same species as a teenage girl. When we consider the Christmas story, you can't help but acknowledge the odd combination of people that came together at the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. A poor young couple from Nazareth, a couple who put the po in podunk. They were poor, no-name people. Elsewhere in Scripture, we, we read, what, what good could come out of Nazareth? Matthew 2 and 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So you have on the other end of the, the socioeconomic spectrum, you have the, the educated, likely well-resourced Magi. We don't know how many there were. Uh, they brought three gifts. So for centuries, we've assumed that there was three wise men, but we don't know. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In Luke's account we read in Luke 2 and 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel shows up and says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Shepherds were often overlooked. They were often disregarded people. And so this big announcement is being made and, and who does God send the angelic representation to? 
It would be like if we were making a big announcement here today and we decided, no, we're not going to tell the people in this room, we're going to go under the bridge. And that's who we're going to tell the big announcement to first. This is what it was like for the shepherds to be hearing this announcement first. A few chapters later, Luke 4, Jesus defines his mission by quoting from the prophet Isaiah, Luke 4 and 18, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The odd combination of people at the birth of Jesus tells us something. It reminds us that Christmas, and more importantly, the Christ of Christmas, is for everyone. Last week we began looking at Christmas in Romans. Uh, if you're new to our church today, we've actually been in a series going through the book of Romans for the past eight months. And as we were going through that, that series, I, I, there was certain texts that just kind of emerged to the surface as I was reflecting on uh, this time of year in particular, uh, this, this season of, of Christmas where every year we try to recenter our minds and hearts on the one who came and is coming again. And we do that every week. But but this, this time of year, there's, a, there's an emphasis in our world, and we want to, to join alongside that and, and proclaim that. In Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul says this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We just, we just sang that. For it is the power of God for salvation to who? To everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also the Greek, for it is the righteousness of God revealed. Paul reflects on the impact of Jesus' coming into the world. Yet if we're honest... Uh, we can feel a little unworthy, or we can feel disconnected from the impact of Jesus' coming. Maybe you're familiar with the phrase, or you, you've heard the phrase, uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Yet, for some, your own experience says otherwise. Uh, for some, uh, you're still adjusting to life without a loved one. For some, chronic sickness personally or from someone you love has been anything but wonderful. For some of our students sitting over here, this, this may have been one of your toughest school years. And you're still reeling from the things that have happened. Not to mention it would be hard to deny the, the mental health crisis that has either affected us personally or affected someone that we know. But in foretelling of Jesus' coming, the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 9 and 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor. It may seem like the world has not followed the counsel of Jesus, but let's reflect on that for, for just a moment in the few moments that we have. How many of you have been sick recently? You may not want to raise your hand, particularly if you're sitting next to someone you don't know. Uh, you can probably tell by my voice I've had some, some drainage and things that are going on th th this week. Before Jesus' coming, the predominant way of thinking in the world was that the sick or the disabled or the diseased had been cursed by the divine gods, lowercase g, in some way. 
Even in the New Testament, we see the belief that a sick person or a lame person or a disabled person has been judged in some way because of something they did or something that their parents did. In John chapter 9, the disciples see a blind man from birth, and they ask Jesus in John 9 and 2, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents that he was born blind? When you and I see someone who's, who's blind or someone who's, who's sick, you and I, you don't, we don't think that today. Why? Be, because you and I live in a world that's been affected by Jesus. Jesus said in verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sin, but, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. How beautiful was it for our students to sing that song, Here I Am to Worship, Light of the World. You step down into darkness. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word meant sent, so that the man went and washed, came home seeing. Jesus reveals here that, that God wasn't about disregarding the sick. Nor was sickness an automatic sentence of, of judgment in somebody's life. Rather, Jesus is revealing that God was all about drawing near to the sick, loving them, and yes, even healing them. Out of the 1,257 verses in the Gospels of Jesus doing something, these are known as the narrative verses in the Gospels, Jesus is doing something, almost 40% involved Jesus healing someone's physical condition, 38.5%. Luke 14 and verse 12, then Jesus said to the host, when you, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back so that you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will re be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. These are just some of the stories in the Gospels that we find that, that reflect the, the change that was imparted by the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus. The world's far from perfect. There's still suffering. There's still pain. There's still illness. But what would have been like if Jesus had not come? Predominantly, globally, historically, Jesus' followers more than anyone else have established compassionate ways to care for the sick. Uh, you'll see a picture on the screen. A few weeks ago, uh, Joe and, and Susan Roberts were visiting family in Mississippi uh, when Joe suddenly had a, a stroke. Uh, going home was not an option because home for Joe and Susan is Kodiak, Alaska. So Joe was life flighted to UAB where he spent time recovering. And 12 years ago, Joe's niece and her husband had used our hospital apartment ministry. And so that's a ministry that provides free housing for folks that are seeking medical treatment if you come from more than 50 miles outside of town. I, I think Alaska qualifies. So his wife, Susan, made the connection, contacted our church office, and we were able to get them into an apartment while Joe received treatments. And here's the note that we received from Joe and Susan just a few days ago. Your ministry 
drew the water and poured the glass before I even knew I was being dropped in a desert. Your church is very forward thinking. Instead of waiting for a crisis and then scrambling for resources, you prepared an oasis. The apartment you provided us met all our needs and the staff were a joy to work with and answered all my questions. Thank you for being a safety net for my husband and I. The Lord has provided for each step with love, Joe and Sue. I don't share that for us to say, okay, let's pat Homewood Church of Christ on the back. I share that for us to stop and think for just a second because a group of Christ followers decided to start this ministry back in the 1940s and a group of Christ followers decided to continue this ministry in 2023. And because ultimately Jesus is coming, flip the script on how we think about the, the sick. The story of this couple was impacted. I so much appreciate those of you in the medical community uh, my wife, the pharmacist, being one of them. I hope that you know that your job is, is not just another job, but it is a continuation of the ministry of Jesus. Another group that Jesus has changed how the world thought was a group that you've seen a lot of today, a group that is sitting down front over here and a group that is sitting over here behind Miss Morgan. It's children. In the ancient world of Greece and Rome, the dominant civilizations in Jesus' day, children were at the bottom of the social ladder. Unless a child was born to royalty, children were not seen as significant. Why? Because they had not done anything yet. The honor system in the ancient world said that the primary way you have dignity is that you achieve something, that you do something. It's why the, the Greek god Hercules was known for what? He was known for killing two snakes in his crib. And he could be lifted up. Why? Because he had done something. He had killed the snakes. If a family was poor, if a child was illegitimate, if a child was disabled, if a child wasn't the right gender, it was totally permissible to drop them off at the city dump. You couldn't be prosecuted. There was not, no crime in, in these days for that. And there's ample evidence from literature that the practice was known as exposure, exposing a child. Now think with me about Jesus' coming into this world. He came into the world with the chips stacked against him. We talked about that last week. And when Jesus began his ministry at age 30, he began to turn the world upside down for children. It may not sound radical to you because... Uh, we live in a world that for the most part has protected children in Western civilization. Is the system perfect? Cer certainly not. There's much work to be done. But when Jesus said that he, in Matthew 18, what he said about children was a game changer. In verse 1, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Jesus takes the social ladder and he turns it on its head. If you welcome a child, you're welcoming me. And then down to verse 6, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus is saying that a, that a child is of such significance that those who lead them into sin will be held severely accountable. 
Jump down to verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. By, by the way, this is the verse that the, the idea of guardian angels is rooted in. But did you hear what, what Jesus said? He, he said that, I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. They're the, they're the ones closest to the Father in heaven. The Romans and the Greeks would say only those who achieve have the attention of the gods. And Jesus comes along and says, I tell you, do not despise these little ones. For their angels in heaven see the face of my Father. One chapter later in Matthew 19. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked him. Jesus said, let the little children come to, to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Author John Ortberg says that children had a kingdom that they belonged to long before Walt Disney came along. The teaching of Jesus brought about a fundamental change in the way that the world sees children. Decades later, James would say in James chapter 1 and 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Orphanages were organized and built by who? Christians, Christ followers. In 270 AD, a boy was born who became a Christ follower whose ministry was marked by caring for children in need. What was his name? Saint Nicholas. By the fourth century, a Roman emperor becomes a Christian and outlaws the practice of exposure in the Roman Empire. No longer could you legally leave a child at a dump. Now, I want to be careful here. Please hear me. There's so much work to be done on behalf of children in the world. We all know that. Yet today, so much of our world views children differently than the way the world viewed children before Jesus came. It's why many of you in this church have a heart for the agape ministry that we support. It's why Virunga Valley Academy in Rwanda holds such a special place in many of our hearts. It's why 30 families from the Family Guidance Center will have Christmas this year because you stepped up and said yes. It's why we build water wells each year alongside Walk for Water. It's why many of you have prayed and labored in the world of fostering and adoption. It's why many of you serve faithfully in our children's or our student ministries. And the list goes on and on and on. Listen to me, church. For those of us with children at home, uh, this is not a call for us to be child-centered in our parenting. It's a call for us to be Christ-centered. Jesus came to recover the treasure that children are in the world, but children are to be treasured and not worshipped. Parents, there's only one who is worthy of our worship. We're called to orient our children to him, and his name is Jesus. As we approach uh, 2024, parents, I'm, I'm looking at me and, and I'm inviting you to consider and call us to pray and to ponder what will it mean to be more Christ-centered in our parenting in 2024. And for those of you who have children who are grown, I want you to know that I believe the Lord has a word for you today, and that is it's never too late to bring them to the King. Some of you have children who are in a valley or a wilderness. Maybe they won't give you much of a hearing right now and it breaks your heart but they can't keep you from going over their heads to the Father. 
I heard an older parent say that they're old, to their older kids, if we've made decisions you're not happy about, you can go over our heads and talk to God about it. Because he has a way of, of getting our, our attention. He has a way of getting a hold of us. And sometimes us as parents have to ask forgiveness, amen? See, when, when God comes into our lives, and, and whether you're a student, a single adult, a married adult, and says, I've got a new script, we tend to pray the world's most common prayer, thy will be no, we pray that I will be changed. God, I don't like my health. Change it. God, I don't like my job. Change it. God, I don't like my mate. Change them. God, I don't like my kids. Change them. I don't like my church. Change it. We rarely say, okay, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? What's your will? How do you want to change me? And how do you want to use me? What's your script, God? Last night, I came into the auditorium and just spent some time in prayer. I was praying for our, our singers. Literally dozens, if not hundreds of hours have been spent in preparation for today. I was praying for our students. I was praying for our children, began praying for our single adults, began praying for our senior adults. And usually when I come in here late at night, this auditorium is pitch black. But last night, the lights from the Christmas tree were on. And so I just stood in the back of the auditorium as I was praying and I just snapped a picture. You'll see it on the screen. And even just that light that came from, from these trees, it, it illuminated throughout this entire auditorium. And where typically you can't see and you run into pews and you trip over things, there was a light, even though it was faint, there was a light that was present here last night. And as I reflect on Christmas being for everyone, I'm reminded of these passages of Scripture. John 1 and 9, the true light that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. First John and 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Matthew 7, for everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be open. Matthew 7 and 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 1 John 4 and 7, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. 
Paul would tell us in Galatians 4 that his desire is for Christ to be born or to be formed within us. And here's the question that I want us to, to think about as we lead into communion here in just a moment. Have I allowed my life to become a Bethlehem for the Son of God? Regardless of whether people put their trust and belief in Jesus, they live in a world that is, is shaped by his coming. So just con consider the way that we even keep time on your, on your Apple Watch or your, your iPad or, or your iPhone or, or whatever you keep time with. Everything that has happened in the course of human history has been acknowledged in two categories, B.C. and A.D. The life of Jesus is the dividing line between the two. Those very dates and timestamps say something and are shaped by Jesus. One of the most common confessions of Jesus' impact in the world. Another confession of Jesus' impact in the world is what we're going to do right now. Something we do every week here at our church. That's participate in a time of communion. Uh, we have placed communion packets in the pew rack in front of you this morning, so everyone should have one available. Uh, but just in case, if you, if you did not have one right in front of you, uh, if you'll just raise your hand where you're at. We have a few folks that can pass those out. We have a few in the back that are sitting in chairs. I'm going to read a verse and pray, and then we're going to take the bread together, and then I'll read a verse again and pray, and then we'll take the cup together. Then you're welcome to place your empty cup back in the pew rack. But as I, I prepare to partake this morning, I want to encourage us to continue to reflect on the question, have I allowed my life to become a Bethlehem for the Son of God? In Matthew 26 and 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Before we pray, I want to encourage you to, to take your communion packet, and you'll see at the, the bottom is where the, the bread is. If you'll open it and just hold it for just a moment, all of us together. And I want us to, to participate in this together this morning. So after we pray, we'll partake together. Let's remember the body of Christ. Father, thank you for the body of Christ. Father, may we not take this moment for granted. That your son gave his life uh, for us. And he said to do this in his memory. And so we do this remembering his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Through Christ we pray. Amen. The body of Christ given for you. In Matthew 26 and 27, then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's pray for the cup. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus, the blood that saves us. We long for the day which we drink it anew in your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The blood of Christ is given for you. If you came prepared to give an offering this morning, you may do so online or those containers in the foyer if you'd like to drop it off there. I'm so grateful to serve alongside a church 
that embodies a generous spirit. Just a moment, our praise team is going to lead us in a song entitled, Because We Believe. And I want to invite the praise team, if they'll be making their way up, listen to these lyrics that we're about to sing. Holy, holy, holy is our God. Worthy, worthy, worthy is our King. All glory and honor are His to receive. To Jesus we sing because we believe. For some this morning, you, you resonate with the, the man in Mark chapter 9 who said, I, I do believe, but, but help me to overcome my unbelief. And we don't want to leave this place without giving you an opportunity to spend a moment in prayer with one of our shepherds. Uh, so as we sing this song, there will be a shepherd down front. There will also be a shepherd and his spouse in the back. Uh, or maybe this is just an opportunity to view, to spend, spend a moment where you're at, reflecting on maybe a word that, that God spoke to you today. There's 863 of us here this morning, and I believe that God had a word for each one of us. So let's spend a moment reflecting on that. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll sing the song. Father, it's been good to be here. Father, we, we know that you are here with us. Father, we are grateful that you have given us the opportunity to turn our gaze, turn our attention toward you in this focused way this past hour. Father, may we not leave here unchanged, but may we be reminded that your word never returns void. And we're grateful for the words that you have spoken today. But I pray if there's anyone here that wants to, to name Jesus as Lord for the first time and to be baptized into him, that they will, they will come forward as well. That you will continue to, to work in our hearts wherever we are, and we'll continue to answer that question about have we allowed ourselves and our lives to become a Bethlehem for your son, to come into our hearts, for us to be born again in him. Father, thank you for giving us that gift and that opportunity. Thank you for Jesus. It's in him that we live and we breathe, and it's in him that we pray. Amen.